why can't everyone be perfect like us? <laughs> Thank you, Ferris. <laughs> yes. Welcome to Deep Thoughts on the Rocks, a conversation to uncover truth regarding language, philosophy, and theology. Yeah, in the East we have um, we have several litanies throughout all sorts of the different prayers, but there's one called the Litany of Peace. And it's the one where, at the end, it's like, and for any other petitions that could be added, here's your chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have you ever been in those situations where you're maybe adoring the Blessed Sacrament as a group for, like, CYO, and uh, it's, it's petition time, and everyone should just bring up, like, what's on their hearts, you know? And um, yes. it turns into <laughs> yes, this, I like, have. like, you know, 30-minute ordeal where everyone just starts trying to top each other, you know, like, oh man, they prayed for all the military. That's good. But, uh, what about, uh, abortions for, for all the military in the world? Yeah. All, for both sides, for both sides in the war, that peace would be in their hearts. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, for all of those affected by mean people, um, for all of those affected by mean people who are Christians <laughs> and you like, look at someone, Whoa. um, dark, yeah, I don't know if either of you have been to Koinonia yes. uh, retreat. That that's how that one night with all the yeah, like, stuff always that can drag. Like, it that's can a big group. For so that's long. a big group. Yeah, because it's like a hundred people who are all told we're here until you're done saying the things that are on your heart, and you're like, don't give yeah. them that option. And then there's that one guy <laughs> or girl that brings up like you know fifty things. And then it finally works up the courage in someone else to maybe speak up, but then they speak up on top of someone else, and then they then they quiet back down, and then they don't say their petition. So yeah, always, it's a really weird situation. I always walk in, and I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna say one thing. That's yeah. all I'm gonna do. If and everyone I'm could just, just gonna be okay. Yeah. And then you have the one on your mind, and you're like, okay, I'm just waiting for that golden opportunity to jump right in there, speak up, and like. You know, and then speak something from says, And then someone the says one. the exact thing you're thinking of. You know, then I just switched my generic dread. one, which is um, that all people would come to know our Holy Mother, Mary of Egypt. Mary of Egypt. And then everyone's like, what? And then we <laughs> move on. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Hail Joey, Buddha. Did, Joey, did you ever go to <laughs> a retreat? Um, I've been to Steubenville before. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Were you there when I was there? I think. Think so. I think we went on the same one. Yeah. I visited there last fall just on my own accord kind of a thing, so there, there wasn't uh, actually an event. I did, a, I did a campus walkthrough, which was fun, but I had no intent on joining, so it was kind of Great. A, Mostly I was just there for the free food, so. Nice. <laughs> Father Michael went to Steubenville. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did he say it was him that used to put roses on people's cars? I don't know that story. It's something from one of the Catholic Stuff podcasts. Here we are um, referencing a podcast in a podcast. Is that is that a party foul? I don't know. Are we actually <laughs> recording? Yeah. Well, we are. But oh, cool! I didn't all know of that. this is just kind of it's all B roll. Yeah. Love B roll. Yeah. I don't. I don't want the pressure of knowing that this is going to get to listener land. So I'm just pretending that right. it's not. We haven't even right. properly introduced ourselves, so. and I never will. Okay. Is I'll that, just be that voice. That's the mystique of the, the listeners. Show. Just have to get to know us. Yeah. Yeah. That that uh, my name is Seth and I live in California. The, oh God! That's, n- neither of those things are I true. I love horses, cooking, and freestyle basket weaving. 
I love um, just hanging with my friends, you know, and uh, yeah. I'm just so grateful for like family. Yes. I love baby Jesus. Get on my level. Shout out to no. you, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I bet I can think of a more obscure saint than you can. So, yeah, the roses on the cars, though. Yeah, how was that? St. Teresa. I do know about St. Teresa. Of, which one is it? St. Teresa You're of, thinking of Lisieux. Yes, of Lisieux. Yeah. Um, people will pray the novena and then wait for a rose. So someone from Steubenville just thought, I bet people are praying novena, novenas, so I'm just going to put the rose on random people's cars. And if they happen to be praying a novena, then that's the rose, and uh, it'll be awesome. And so... Yeah, I don't know what to think of that. It's like, it's cool that someone um, had the thought to do that. You know, it's it's a very kind gesture. It's also kind of just like a roll of the dice. I was say, it's also very, a little bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's the thing with the roses, like in the novena? I guess they pray the novena and then they expect to see a rose. Who? Just Catholics? Yeah, <laughs> yeah if you pray it. People, people who love Therese of Lisieux. There's okay. a novena to, to Therese of Lisieux. And the tradition is that if you pray the um so therese in her lifetime said that anyone who prays to me i will shower roses of grace upon them that sounds I like <laughs> a metaphor yeah that's it's what i was absolutely <laughs> a metaphor but there are people um you do Man, hear stories you of will people see a rose bush growing in your front lawn randomly after you pray it every day <laughs> um no yeah there's there are stories of people seeing roses on day nine of praying the novena and sometimes i'm like that's a really cool story actually sometimes i'm like you work at a flower shop <laughs> yeah like i <laughs> i saw a rose you also saw a rose every other day yeah. You know, if right. they can use that um, as a witness to the faith, though, then, you know, more power to them. Because those things do happen. Yeah. Know? If it, like, makes you holier and more in union with God, yeah. go for it. If it doesn't, knock it off. But obviously don't be pursuing those things. Because that's, like, God's way of saying, like, you don't have enough faith. So I'm going to help you. You know, we shouldn't just stay on that right. level. Right, we shouldn't just rely like, well, on physical I gotta, things. I got to be on the, the miracle hunt, you know. It's a, it's yeah. a scavenger right. hunt. Right. What is that saint's name? Saint um, Mary Magdalene de Pazzi is one of her famous quotes. Not that she's super famous, but one of her famous quotes <laughs> is um, she she had mystical visions and someone asked her or accused her more of like, you just think you're so much holier than us having all your visions. She's like, one, I don't choose to have the visions. That's what makes them visions. Two, <laughs> I'm only being given visions because I'm not good enough to believe in jesus without them yeah right it's also fun i don't know um thomas aquinas is adoro te devote i don't know if you've listened to the lyrics closely which one is it adoro te devote latens de itas quesu peace figuris vede lazitas I'm a terrible Thomist. I don't think I even know TV that one. Oh, you've definitely... I've heard it. You've definitely heard it, it before. Uh, it's seven verses long, and it's very short. Um, one of the verses is him basically saying... And remember, it's Thomas Aquinas writing it. So he says, um, Though I did not have the vision of Thomas, 
yet I still believe in your crucifixion and resurrection, etc., etc. And so it's interesting. He's bringing up Thomas the Apostle, who's like, I won't believe in the resurrection till mm-hmm. I touch bloody hands. Um, but Thomas Aquinas has the beautiful time, or the beautiful section of that song where he's like, though I can't see that it's you in the Eucharist, I still believe it's you. Um, but I like that it's Thomas Aquinas comparing himself to Thomas the Apostle, which is always fun. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. To the topic? Sure. <laughs> What's the topic? I brought a topic today from our good pal, Tanqueray, Adolf Tanqueray, very reverend Adolf Tanqueray, and his book, The Spiritual Life. As opposed a- to the other Adolf who's less reverent. Yes. Yeah, the less revered <laughs> yes. Adolf. So um, today I was wanting to touch on two things and how they work together. One of them is a virtue. It's a subset of fortitude. It's called magnanimity. Magnanimity. It's a fun one. Magnanimous. Magnanimity. Um, what? Magnanimity. <laughs> There's two ends in there. Magnanimity. And its defect, which is, I don't know how to say this. Pusillanimity. 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 So we'll we'll get Words to those. Are hard. <laughs> um, yeah, and we did not make it easier. <laughs> But also talking about uh, something that's born from pride, uh, which is presumption, and, and a subset of that is ambition. Hmm. So Presumption is a subset of ambition? Is that what you said? Ambition is a subset of presumption. Okay. Go on. <laughs> I believe. What so are those terms? <laughs> that will define terms. Oh, good. And then we can kind of start talking about them and uh, what, what we think they mean. I support this. Awesome. That's good. I'm glad. Okay. I lost my place. In the world or the book? The book. Hmm. What's your, what are you looking for? I can start riffing on it while you look stuff up in a book. Nope, I found it. Oh, okay, never mind. I have an extra bookmarker in here that I didn't know about, so I'm going to pitch that. Okay. So, magnanimity, which is also called greatness of soul or nobility of character, is the noble and generous disposition to undertake great things for God and for the neighbor. Um, this also it kind of involves a, a disinterested service. So, you're not doing it for the sake of doing it, it seems, but that um, you're not doing it for like the rewards you will get from it kind of yeah. thing. So, it's just disinterested service. Um, yeah and then (laughs) we're getting through this i I don't want to just read the entire the entire page it's not that much but um i also don't want you to read the entire page i kind of could figure that by the (laughs) so what are you even happening (laughs) i i enjoy magnanimity so here's where he talks about ambition in this part and then we'll go over to ambition um, it is not the same as ambition, which is essentially egotistical and goads us on to surpass others by wielding authority or receiving honors. Okay. Right. So then... I would say I'm interested that he brings them up together. Yeah. Because I've never thought of them as related before. Like, to me, they're so different. So, to me, 
I see the common thread of success, like desiring to be successful. Oh, see, I don't see that in magnanimity. Can you talk more about how you see that magnanimity? So it's this like greatness of soul to do like great things for God, for the church, for others, that kind of a thing. So you're you're like striving for greatness. So that's what that word means, magnamin, magnamin, uh. magnanimity, coming from the Latin mania anima, which literally means big soul, big soul, big life force, undertaking great things for God. Okay, I see. So, so it's like rising to a challenge. Yeah, in a way. And the reason it's under fortitude. Um, do we want to do a definition of fortitude? Sure. So that's the strength of soul, strength of character, spiritual vigor. Um, it's a supernatural moral virtue that strengthen, strengthens the soul in the pursuit of arduous moral good. So, so mm. we're trying to pursue arduous moral good. It's the, you know when the right thing is not the easy thing. That's where fortitude kicks in, and it's supernatural. It's not of us. It's of God. Now, see, that's where I am very interested in his definition. He says it's a supernatural grace. Yes. Which, on the one hand, all grace is supernatural because grace literally just means the life of God. But yeah. <laughs> fortitude is one of the cardinal virtues. So, yes. like, there is a naturalness to it. I think so. So... I don't know if I would define fortitude as the supernatural grace. I would say there well, grace is... grace builds on nature, so that's maybe true. that's the whole... I would say there is there is supernatural fortitude, but there's also natural fortitude. Okay. And I actually, I find the term fortitude... Fortitude, to me in English, sounds like part of what the virtue is. Because, I don't know, fortitude to me sounds like the ability to endure suffering. Which is true, but it's not all that it is. Because your definition was, like, the ability to, like, pursue great things. Mm-hmm. Um, in Greek, the word is Andrea, which literally means manliness or courage. Huh. Um, For fortitude? Fortitude, yeah. The word fortitude in Greek is Andrea. Um, in Latin, the word is virtus, manliness. Um, and Gotta that's, get your man card. <laughs> yeah, and virtus is the word that becomes virtue. Okay. But in in Latin, before the Middle Ages, it didn't have that connotation of, like, moral perfection. It literally meant strength, power, courage, the ability to do the hard thing. Um, it's only in the context of doing the hard thing, doing the right thing, even though it's the hard thing, that its meaning um, come you know, switches over sort of to this moral virtue. Um I'm interested, though, also, one of the other Greek analogs of virtus. So, we started the Greek word Andrea, which means courage, which sometimes get often gets translated as virtus in Latin. But virtus, Latin has fewer... Oh, this is going to be a factually incorrect statement that gets my point across. I'm about to say Latin has less words than ancient Greek, which is half true. Um... But virtus is the usual translation for two different Greek words. Mm. One of them is courage, and one of them is this word arete, which means excellence. And I'm interested in maybe it's the arete side that's more the tie-in with magnanimity. Because while I wouldn't say magnanimity isn't tied to courage, to me it sounds more like it's tied to excellence so yeah here's how he kind of classifies those um 
and I think this is from Aquinas too, uh, there are four vir virtues connected with the virtue of fortitude. Two of them aid us in the accomplishment of things arduous. One, magnanimity, and two, uh, munificence. And then the other two help us to suffer in the right manner, which is patience and constancy. Okay. So that's what he goes into talking gotcha. about. One of so them the is second two are more like um, endurance. Yes. And the first two are more like pursuit of excellence. Yes. So magnanimity gotcha. and munificence. And do you know that word and any kind of definition on it? I haven't read that far. Munificence? Yeah. Um, it's, the, it's doing your duty. So it comes from the Latin word munera, which means an office or a duty. And then the fis part means doing. So what was he said magnanimity and munificence so uh -huh. greatness of soul and doing your duty oh and i think also undergoing great expenses is part of the munificence yes what here like being willing to um you know contribute yes and that comes from the other meaning of munera which is gift oh okay. so munera can either mean it's something you do for someone else that you ought to do in like it's got a lot of it's got a lot of interesting sort of connotations in it it comes to being public office so if someone takes public office they're fulfilling a munera but also if you give someone a gift you're giving them a munera in mm. latin munera is one word for that okay and so or munus munera is the plural um and so it's the ability to do a munus which is either giving of oneself to another, giving a gift to another, giving something to another uh, freely, or the, the fulfillment of a duty. So the idea that it's something you ought to do. So it's a very wide, wide scoping word. So, so would you say like <clears throat> parenthood falls under that sort of category where it's like, it's a gift, but it's also a duty. Like you have a kid, like you're, you should take care of it. But it's also a gift in, a, you know, what ways you choose to take care of a child, you know? Yes. There is definitely a moonness of parenthood, a duty, an office of parenthood, which can involve in itself several moonera. Okay. Several different ways of taking care of your child that actually do go above and beyond the office itself. So, like, you have to feed your child. Right. Mm. You don't have to feed them things they like. Hmm. Yeah. That's true. But both of those and you would probably shouldn't most. in a way or like what they like at a certain point in time might be ice cream every single day. Or right. Yeah. At times you have to pick one over the other because one of them trumps the other. But if you're able to give them food that they like, that also fulfills your duty to feed them well. Bonus. Bonus. That's that is munificent. I Look at us bachelors telling people how to parent their kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so can you think of... I don't the... know, do I count as a bachelor if I'm celibate? I don't know. I don't know either. That's a strong word. That is a strong yeah, word. Yeah, I guess I think of the word bachelor to mean almost the same as like available. So I would say like, no, so it doesn't mean this. you would not bachelor. Yeah. Even though I have a bachelor's degree, <laughs> I would not okay, be a bachelor. Okay, well... <laughs> Yeah, it Language sounds like hard. maybe we yeah. have a lexical gap. 
Oh, is And there... Alexa, don't turn on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for using a copyrighted trademark name in our podcast. Yikes. Um, <laughs> Just edit it out. Oh, Dessa. Alexis. No. <laughs> I didn't mention the company name, the parent name. That's true. I mentioned their... Alexa I didn't talk a... about the parents. I talked about the children. Yeah, Alexa is a is a. Didn't talk about the Amazon rainforest. Oh, that... <laughs> you're the worst. <laughs> so... <laughs> With munificence, <laughs> can you, you know think what that of sounds any... like? That sounds like the name of a Disney like villain. What is that? Mut- Maleficent. Maleficent, is Maleficent. Maleficent. Maleficent, which just means to be wicked, to be ah. evil. Munificent um, is not that. Munificent, no, is to perform it's one's duty. It's magnificence. It says munificence or magnificence. Ooh, magnificence means doing great things. Yeah. So it's the same magna as in magnanimity. Yeah. Except instead of magna anima, it's magna. Feature and feature day is the verb that means to do things. So when we say something is magnificent, it's just saying like it does great things. Well, I mean, languages change. So I would say if right. if you were in ancient Rome and you called something magnificia, yeah, that means it does great things. Nowadays, okay. of course, the word has shifted <laughs> meaning. E meraviglioso. Right. I feel like yeah. you could almost use that to mean like even just like beautiful or something like that like oh it's magnificent like oh i'm just looking at some mountains or something yeah and i tend to think of magnificent and majesty as similar even though they're totally i mean they're different words yeah and they have very different etymologies but to me i think things that are majestic are magnificent and Hmm. i i rarely mean anything close to what they meant in latin do they have a similar root in latin no okay well Yes, <laughs> they so magna means great, and mayor means greater, so it's the comparative form. So majestic comes from being better than the things around you. It's what it literally means in Latin, and then magnificent means does good, great things. So they're related, but like in English, they're just like synonyms almost sometimes. Hmm. So the defects. Of munificence or magnificence. Uh, real quick. The defects. <laughs> I'm interested in... Um, so Tanqueray is just bringing this up, and he's like, these are virtues, right? Uh, yeah. In why? this section. So why is he bringing it up? No, no, no. Why does he consider them virtues? I'm interested in that. I don't necessarily disagree, but I'm interested, like, is doing your duty... A virtue or depends what you mean by virtue like yeah, by virtue do you virtue, mean Mike. just doing what you're okay. supposed to like bare minimum so this munificence is a... to me sounds like a bare minimum word mm. in some sense so are you doing the bare minimum of your duty mm. and then magnanimity is the going above and beyond ah uh, let's see i'd have to read a little bit so he's saying at times it is pride or ambition rather than virtue that inspires these undertakings. So I guess he's talking about like when you take on things, take it on in this way using the virtues and not in a way that's a, a pride based. That's fair. What I'm asking is, do you think do you think someone doing literally just doing what the minimum of what they were supposed to do, would you consider that a virtue? No. Okay. I don't know if he calls it that. No, I'm just interested in what you think. I know what Tanqueray thinks because you're about to quote him, I'm sure. 
but I'm interested in what you think. I think I'm interested also I'm interested in what anyone thinks. I but. think it's a really tricky thing because yeah, like pursuing success. Uh, is it worldly success or, you know, um, um, spiritual success that you're after? I think that's like an important question. Yeah. And and like the crossover too. I mean, uh, just I was talking with my brother last night on this about um like what is the morality of um success in your occupation in in your in your field of work you know hmm. is it important to get promotions is is it morally good to get promoted in your work or not and we were just kind of talking all of that out and we kind of came to a conclusion of you know pursuing all the like certificates and uh, uh promotions and things in a company to um you know climb the climb the corporate ladder it's it doesn't really deal with morality as right. long as you're providing s- for your family you know look at um jesus if we were trying to be like jesus was he a was he like the best carpenter ever if he was a carpenter a stonemason whatever field of work he took on after joseph passed away you know in that same mm-hmm. trade was he the, did he try to be the best at it that's a good question. Yeah, we don't really know, but we don't really hear of anything. We don't. I don't think we even have anything that he made. Um, no, of course not. <laughs> or know of it, or yeah, yeah. I don't so. think. So. Isn't it like unsure about what Joseph even like was? Like maybe he was a carpenter. Maybe he was like a stone worker or something along so those lines. So the Greek word, was the that, Greek yeah. word is manual laborer. Wow. So it is as vague as you can have a word be. Yeah. And still be a concrete noun. So it sounds like possibly something to do with construction it could be construction work it could be hauling rocks like it's everywhere from hired day labor so it's interesting jesus talks about day laborers a lot he talks about the people hired hourly in the town when he's talking about um the parable where he's he's paying everyone a day's wage and then some of them are upset because they're like i worked all day and they only worked half the day and he's like it's my money i can do whatever i want with it Right. I didn't. I didn't shortchange you. Jesus you is to like, well, I have I infinite monies, so I can give out as much generosity as I want. Right, and he's like, and I didn't pay you less than we agreed to. I told you I'd give you a drachma for a day's labor, and you right. said yes, and here it is. I also gave them a drachma for an hour's labor because I chose to. <laughs> um, I have so many freaking drachmas. So many drachmae. You um, want to tell me what to do with? My money. What right. is also funny because the word drach, well, a drachma is a day's wage. That's what that word stands for. Oh, okay. It's a coin that represents one day's labor. Oh, I see. Um, we should bring that currency back. Yeah. It depends. Yeah, it depends what you think. I guess uh, eight hours of minimum wage is what a drachma is worth. Huh. If you think eight hours work, minimum wage, that's what a drachma represents. One day's minimum pay for one day's labor got it um but where was i going with this <laughs> somewhere i was going places God. we asked about the greek word for, D- for did we? day worker that's been for a day the manual <laughs> worker um oh oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What, <laughs> what is joseph so it could be anything as low as that or it can mean skilled artisan so it can it's like someone who Mm. makes fine things with their hands it's literally the same word it's literally anyone who does any sort of labor that they have to personally produce something so it can be anything from manual labor in like think minimum wage eight hour 
eight-hour workday hauling rocks. Or it can be something like I make fine furniture with my hands. Like I make a jewelry. <laughs> and it's like, to be fair, historically, it's probably the latter. Not the f- it's probably the former, not the latter. He was probably closer to being one of the poor um, day laborers. Yeah, so somebody so, hauling rocks. Yeah, there's a there's a legitimate theory that he was a rock hauler because that is one of the. Well, it's also so they moved to Nazareth. Like that's one of the, like they end up going to Nazareth. Um, so think when they come back from Egypt, they move to Nazareth, and so he's like a guy who's been gone for a long time, years even. And he's like walking into town and trying to keep a low profile because his adopted son is like one of the people that there was an order to kill them. So he's keeping low profile. (laughs) So he's, it's very likely that he worked in a very low, sort of a low industry. Um, And that that's what Christ in his humanity was doing as well for labor i'm sure he did it perfectly Mm. too i'm sure he did so he perfectly provided for mary and uh so well that's an interesting concept i don't know if we want to get into that but like how could somebody so like jesus is like perfect right but how could somebody do something perfectly at every moment if they're doing a job like that you know yeah and what i can say on that is um you know to be a good worker to be doing like good work if uh, you, you sometimes have to prioritize which is interesting to be like a, a great worker even just like always trying to do everything you do you do it great sometimes that doesn't mean doing it perfectly because oh are we gonna get weird sounds already do you guys hear that I yeah. absolutely hear it oh my gosh that's cool yeah I thought I had a state-of-the-art system <laughs> <laughs> apparently not state-of-the-art is a fun idiom that I need to explore more okay <laughs> So where was I? Um, yeah, Talking doing great things. Rocks. Sometimes doing like doing the the job the best means prioritizing that you do a lot of the for everyone. If you have like a deadline or something to meet, and that maybe maybe the each individual part is not done perfectly, but you did it the best that you could with the time that you had. So right. it also means depends what we mean by perfect. So I yeah. would say I always think of drywall with this when you put drywall up. It's way easier if the drywall has a little gap at the top and a little gap at the bottom that you cover up. Right. It's really yeah. easy. Um, and in fact, when you put drywall up, like the best drywallers leave gaps. And you could, if you wanted to, you could say, well, but if it fit in there exactly how it ought, you know, snug, wouldn't that be more perfect? I disagree. I don't think it is necessarily because perfect doesn't mean perfect doesn't mean that like it's not one like there has to be a standard of what you mean by perfect and it tends to it's like finished complete Mm -hmm. it it meets it is exactly what it needs to be yeah so like under the hood of a car is a very different thing than behind crown molding yeah very much so and also like the way you put like the trim on a door, that has to look good in its put-in state. Drywall doesn't. It has no purpose. Is it 
munificent to put the drywall in snug on the top and the bottom. No. Because that's not your, your job. Your it's working your definition so, on that is what again? Munificent is doing your duty, doing that which is that which is necessary for you to do. Is it magnanimous to make the drywall fit perfectly? Maybe. One form of magnanimity could be every time I put in drywall, it is. It's right there. But it's not necessary. It's not even remotely necessary. And in fact, it probably actually means you're putting it in slower, which is not what's desired. Um, and so I would say in that way, there is, there seems to be, according to Tanqueray's definitions of these terms, um, something that seems to be like virtue that is unnecessary, which is an interesting concept. Hmm. Virtue. Okay. So there is a, is there such thing as a virtue that goes above and beyond? Is there super meritorious virtue? Which I assume is something Tanqueray would say yes to. Because I assume... When did he write? Uh, 1920s, 30s, I think. And he's Roman? Published in English in 1930. It was originally written in French, I think. I think Yo, he's Yeah, with a last name like Tanqueray, yeah. definitely. Is he from an order? Yeah. Which one? Uh, what are the initials? Probably on the front next to his name. SSDD. Cool, I have no idea. So yeah. if he's a Roman Catholic theologian in the 1920s, I'm going to bet, I would bet money on the fact that he believes there is something called superfluous or super meritorious virtue. The idea that you can actually go beyond what is required of you in the spiritual life and thus create what's called super meritorious virtue. And it's those super meritorious virtues that are the ones that benefit other souls say in purgatory or if you're praying to the saints um the roman catholic definition of like indulgences mm -hmm. is the roman catholic definition of an indulgence is that the church has the ability to apply the super meritorious virtues of the saints to her children on earth the idea that the saints actually did more than is necessary and it's mm -hmm. that that like skimming off the top that yeah. then gets applied why is it that so many of us have this idea in mind? Maybe it's because we're in like the purgative stage of, I don't know, of just like, all I need to do is like the bare minimum of what's necessary to get, you know, the one sticky foot into purgatory or just, I just want right, to get to heaven. Yeah. And anything beyond that kind of seems like unnecessary work. Well, and I would say, yeah, there's a difference. They would say it's a difference between, there's a difference between what's the minimum to get to purgatory and the minimum to get to heaven. Hence, yeah, you, purgatory is making right. up what's lacking there. Right. Well, um, I don't like that sort of pr thought process because I feel like heaven is like existing in more union with God, which is an infinitely deep sort of like trench in my mind. So like saying like you doing the bare minimum, I feel like there is no bare minimum there that goes infinitely deep of how close you can get to God, you know? Yeah, and like we cannot attain salvation on our works alone. Right. Right. Like we need yeah. Jesus' salvation. That's it. like it, yeah. He paid a debt he didn't owe, so we could what what is that cool phrase that Scott Hahn always says? Um so we could uh, uh it's because we had a debt we couldn't pay. Something like that. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so. Yeah, and this is why like in the Eastern churches we don't have this we have Merit is not even a theological term, really, in the East. 
Um, and that's why, like, the East historically doesn't have indulgences or anything like that. Um, but Thomas Aquinas decide, defines merit. To, Thomas Aquinas is basically to be in a state of grace and to have performed at least one meritorious action is the minimum for getting into heaven for Thomas Aquinas. Wow. You have to perform at least one action of merit in a state of grace and then remain in a state of grace. Yeah. And so for him, if I, if I recall correctly, I haven't, I haven't read Thomas on this. Someone who I trust to know Thomas Aquinas well told me that's his definition. Um, in a discussion where he was asking, what does the East think of merit? And I was like, <laughs> no. Um, and so um, that would mean any other meritorious act that a human does would be super meritorious for their attainment of heaven. Mm. Um, all of which is a concept more or less foreign to the East. We don't think that way in the sense. Mm. Um Yeah. Yeah, everything you've been telling me so far about the difference in the thinking in the East, I, it's it's really appealing. I I don't know. I I like I like to hear the diversity. I guess it's good, and it does help because if you're if you only know the Eastern, then in a sense you can get to the idea of like the good actions of a human don't count for anything. You can twist, you know, if you if you if you take only the Eastern side of no human being can ever perform an act of of divine merit, then it's sort of like, why do anything good? Right. Because I feel like you could argue like somebody could play the devil's advocate and argue about anything you've ever done as being an evil act. Certainly. And so in the East, our theology is such that it's like every act you've ever performed is imperfect because it has at least some admixture of sin even Mm -hmm, if the only sin is pride but that also this is one of the reasons um the like lutheranism and the eastern churches agree in some sense on the idea of like works but we understand it differently lutheran or luther basically wrote that works are completely meaningless because he was trying to avoid the error of saying works merit salvation, which is, of course, wrong. Yeah, it's that pendulum swing, though. Yep. And his way of dealing with that was to basically discount merit, discount works altogether. In the East, the way we talk about it is, in order to avoid the idea that good works are a cause of salvation, we describe them as good works are an effect of salvation. They are the natural manifestation of the fact that you are close to God. Yeah, and of course, uh, you know, tying this into scripture is that um, faith without works is dead faith. Yep, because so, it's producing nothing. So that seems plant. to um, be contrary to what Luther supposedly taught. Luther that, didn't that think, Luther did say that the book that that verse comes from is, that is in scripture. It's from James. He yeah. tried to kick out James. He did. And then he did kick out everyone James. kind of, and they put it back in. They said, you can't touch the new Testament. <laughs> yeah. You can rip things. You, you know, you can disassemble the old Testament, but the new Testament, we're keeping that. So, so to be entirely fair, he was at least consistent. He yes. wasn't contradicting scripture because he didn't consider it because scriptural. he didn't consider that book scripture so i'll hand him that at least he's being consistent with his idea of soul it's not like he was violating sola yeah. scriptura in that way 
because he was like, that's not scriptura. So I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so that's in the way where like the East still has something, I think, a little more akin to the Western Catholicism. But at times it's understood differently. So Thomas does describe there is some causal nature to human meritorious action. Because he just, you know, you have to do at least one. You have to have some merit, some virtuous merit. Whereas in the East, we are, in a sense, I love using the phrase allergic to. So not in the sense that we never think that way, but we always are like, what's a way that we could think about this that doesn't do that? And if there is one, let's go with that for as long as it goes. And so the idea that there's a causal relationship of human merit for salvation, the East is kind of like real hands off with it. Um, and in the East, often we would prefer to find no answer and leave it a mystery rather than start to introduce ideas that seem to contradict what we're going with. The West has always been a little more comfortable with saying, let's look at everything and see if we can make it all work. The East is always kind of like, we found a thing that works and we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't have any examples in mind, but I, I think that idea of doing one meritorious thing right after um, being in the state of grace, it's, it's a common theme in stories of mm. the, you know, the sinner turned good and they do that one good thing. And then something terrible happens to them, like they die or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> yes, I think of the woman with the onion from Dostoevsky's *Brothers Karamazov*. Okay, there's a famous story of the woman with the onion, and it's it follows that motif. Um, it's interestingly, it's an Eastern Orthodox writer, Dostoevsky, describing um someone's union with God as hinging upon an act that they've done to be entirely fair. Wow. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting passage. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I could describe it now or I can leave go for it, it there. If you want to go for it. I, I haven't read Dostoevsky. So I'm, okay. And I want to, so I'm interested. This woman, uh, she's this mean woman that's awful and nobody likes her and she doesn't like anybody else. One day, she's out in her garden and a beggar walks by and says, do you have anything you can give me? And she's like digging up onions out of her garden. She's like, you can have this onion. She throws an onion to the guy. And that's it. When she dies, um, she drops into the lake of fire. <laughs> she's in hell. But her guardian angel show, her guardian angel pleads on her behalf to Christ. And says, you are super merciful. And Christ says, if you can find one thing she has ever done that shows any kind of understanding of love. Okay. And so the the uh, the guardian angel's like, she gave an onion to a beggar once. And Christ is like, I've set the bar too low, but okay, let's, <laughs> let's go with that. He says, okay, pull her out with the onion. And if the onion is strong enough to bear her weight, you can pull her out of the lake with it. So the guardian angel comes over with an onion and dips and, you know, dangles it above her. And she grabs the onion and he starts pulling and she starts coming out of the water. And all the other souls in the lake of fire see that she's getting pulled up out of the fire to heaven. <clears throat> and so they start grabbing onto her mm. to try and get pulled up with her. 
and she starts to slow down. Still going up, but she starts to slow down, and she's at a certain. She starts getting angry at them and saying, "No, this is my onion. This is my way out of the lake of fire. This is the way I get to heaven. This isn't for you. This is for me." And she starts kicking off the people from mm-hmm. the lake of fire. The and onion the, is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, and then the onion snaps. Of course. And she falls into the lake of fire and is in hell forever. Huh. Wow, dark. Because it wasn't the onion. No. The onion was a symbol of what truly it means, union of God, the, the generosity, the mercy, these things, being like God. And that's why Jesus was like, if the onion is strong enough, go for it. And the onion would have pulled her up. If she had been generous. And it would have. Um, there's a really famous Eastern saint. Saint Seraphim of Saraf, Who has a beautiful line. If you attain the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. A thousand around you will be saved. And that's going into the story. Of like all the other people in the lake of fire. Could have been drawn out with her. Yeah. But because she. Right. Because she was inward focused. She was self-centered. Not only does she. Go to the lake of fire. She actually damns all the souls around her as well. Yeah, that that's kind of how sin works. Pulled up. Yeah. Right? That's interesting that that's how g- good works um, mm-hmm. and sin both work. They affect the people around you. Yeah, they're a manifestation of God's love. They, they aren't themselves God's love. You know, it's not like we, again, from an Eastern perspective, it's not that her giving the onion to the beggar was itself actually meritorious on its own. It's the fact that it can manifest grace and grace is God and God is the one that truly merits things. And so it was when it was revealed that actually she does not have the divine life flowing through her at all Mm -hmm. when it's her, her sort of her fate in hell, her freely chosen fate in hell is revealed. Yeah. And back at the beginning of the story, it's kind of interesting to think about. I don't know if I agree that just like, doing one good thing is all it takes you know that kind of attitude but i guess that is what aquinas is saying right well but he i mean caveated to be in the state of grace which, which means to receive work. the sacraments and to yeah. believe in christ and to right. pray. like that he also said you have to remain in a yeah, state remaining of grace. in a state of grace involves a lot of things which means you're yes. most likely to do more acts yes in that Right. Yeah. Yeah, and so if we're thinking of acts as the effect of being in the state of grace. Yeah, sorry. So the way that it didn't make sense in my head is, well, I did this one good thing once, but I am a wretched human being. I mean, we're all wretched in right. one way or another, but if you if you are not in a state of grace and you continue your life in that way and die in right. that state. Right. It's not like you can but justify everything. But you did one good everything. thing way back when. Yeah, Thomas Aquinas would say once you if you ever lose the state of grace, all merit of all actions you've ever done is null and void. Wow, yeah, and I've also heard too that prayer is effective in the state of grace. And I I don't remember as much about this cuz I just heard it in right. passing, but that when you're not in the state of grace, something about your prayers are not as effective. Uh depending how you think of prayer, yeah. So since prayer's primary effect is to change the prayer, it's right. be, not being in the state of grace. It's not that your prayer becomes less effective. It's that you become less able to receive the effects. Yeah. If we want to but caveat Of that. course, that to maintain your regimen of prayer life, whatever that is, even in when you're not in a state of grace, because it is like good to be forming the habit. Whether you're getting like the spiritual benefits 
out of it in the moment or not, you know. Mm -hmm. Thomas Aquinas also describes when one when a soul returns to the state of grace, then all of the merits of all their past actions, even those performed in a state of sin, are reapplied to the soul. So okay. this is what in the East I would call a clunky solution to an unnecessary problem. Because <laughs> it just sounds really like well, once you're once you're out of a state of grace, you have no merit. This is very but Western. But you should keep doing things because once you're back in a state of grace, even though those things meant nothing when you did them, they'll mean things once you're back in a state of grace. And I'm like, that sounds a lot more complicated than just being like, sometimes you're a bad person and sometimes you're a good person. Hopefully Christ is merciful. <laughs> like one of these sounds a lot simpler to me. Wow. One of them is a lot more rigorous philosophically. And yeah. I'll hand that to Thomas on a silver platter. And and it can be encouraging, too, to stay in a state of grace. Oh, certainly. In the East, we don't really distinguish between state of grace and state of yeah, sin. Yeah, I know. We don't talk about them in the That's same That's one way. of the things I find really interesting. Yeah. Because there are the people that just kind of obsess over this in the West. That's true. Just, I use the Lord's name in vain, and so now I can't see, receive the Eucharist until I go to confession and, uh, you know, just all of these... These things, right. if I die, you know, on my way to work this morning before I go to confession this afternoon, then I'm damned to hell kind of a thing. And it's just... Right. That's yeah. something I thought, get, that's even when I was like a little though. kid and I, the first time I heard that, you know, oh, if you die in the state of mortal sin, then you're going to go to hell. Even if, and I was like, hmm, what? <laughs> yeah. Unlikely it, story. <laughs> yeah. It depends what, so in the East we would say that well the east has a different definition of mortal sin though so the east yeah. would agree the east would say if you die in a state of mortal sin you will go to hell but that's because in the east the most common definition of mortal sin is sin for which you have no repentance right sin for which you actively do not want to like you do not want to convert from it yeah so if you die and that plays a big not role wanting too. to be in union with god then yeah, that if you're actively yeah. willing to go to hell when you die, well, you're going to go where you wanted to go. Yeah. So, right. yeah. So even before finding time to go to confession, I oftentimes at committing a mortal sin or something that I believe is that way, then just, you know, immediately making an act, act of contrition, you know, because you yeah, can do absolutely. that on your own and just be repentant, um, you know, before um, going, right. going to confession. Right, and then it's like, well, what's the... Uh... You know, obviously, there's def like we have definitions of a mortal sin. We have like the Ten Commandments and whatnot. But there's also like sin where it's like maybe you're not doing as much good as you possibly could be. Like that is a sin. yeah, and also it kind of sounds too like some some sins are what is that active? Like you're doing something wrong, and other things are sins of omission where you mm -hmm. you failed to do what was good. Right. Are all okay? This is a this is an interesting question. Are all sins of omission venial? Maybe. I, I would say absolutely not. Because let's say I have a child in front of me and the child, someone is pointing a gun at the small child in front of me and I legitimately have all the time in the world, all I have to do is pick the child up, move them, and the bullet won't kill them. Right. If I don't do that, if I willfully say I could save this person and I choose not to, that would be the sin of omission of murder. That's a, that's an accessory to a mortal sin, though. That's not an actual mortal <laughs> sin. You're right. An accessory. But, oh, but being, an, being a willful accessory to a mortal sin is a mortal sin. 
yes. in Western theology. So I mean, I'll just yeah. No, I know. I was just <laughs> um, the nine ways that you can participate in someone else's sin is a list that I don't have memorized. Okay. Um, well, but, we should we should uh, jot it down as a topic for a further episode. We should. That'd be good. <laughs> we can also talk about in the East we have mortal sins, venial sins, and involuntary sins. Yeah, which is a which the Western Church doesn't recognize involuntary sins. They but, don't use the language of sin specifically. Aquinas. Yeah, we don't use that term, but we do talk about like I mentioned earlier, example of habitually using the Lord's name in vain. Mm-hmm. That's not. Nec- I don't think you would even qualify that as a mortal sin because. It's it's of serious matter because it's breaking one of the Ten Commandments. It's serious right. to God, you know. And uh, but you aren't like willfully doing it. Aquinas would disagree with you. Okay, he would say that is a mortal sin every time because you can always, you are always in charge of the words that come out of your mouth. Okay, always, um, unless your mind is altered to the point where you literally cannot choose. In which case, if it was your fault that your mind became in that state. Then yeah, those mortal still, sins are your, are your, um, yeah. But if yeah. you like, say you're sleep talking and you use the Lord's name in vain, Thomas Aquinas would say, okay, whatever. You don't right. control your words in your sleep. Yeah. But just because you formed a habit, that doesn't mean it's not a sin. It just means it's now a vice. Okay. As opposed to, so his def- definition of habit or virtue and vice, virtue is the habitual inclination to do the good with ease, promptitude, and joy. Yeah. Vice is the opposite. It's the habitual inclination to do the bad with ease, promptitude, and joy. Um, <laughs> and so, just because just because you sin all the time Does doesn't make suddenly it okay. mean it's not a sin. <laughs> right. Would be Thomas's response. Or like the logic where it's like, well, everyone does it all the time. <laughs> yeah. So his definition of vincible ignorance or the things that can um, lessen culpability is much, 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 much smaller than I think is often taught. So we talk about like addictions as removing culpability. Thomas Aquinas would not. He does not talk about if you're addicted to say, um, I would I would say taking heroin recreationally is a sin because it's a it destroys your ability to access your free will. Um just because you're addicted to heroin does not excuse the use of heroin. Every time you use heroin, whether you're addicted to it or not, you are choosing to do something. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. It's yeah. much more tragic, but it's still bad. Like, it's not excusable. It's understandable, so, right. but not excusable. I have a classmate, or I had a classmate in high school that unfortunately just a couple weeks ago killed himself. Oh, and so, uh, so we were, we've been praying for uh, the repose of his soul. Yeah. And kind of thinking about, okay, I remember in high school this individual, um, you know, denounced God and chose to get on the atheist train um, and and started the use of mind-altering drugs and uh, and then got into lots of other things like transgenderism and, and things like that. So there's just it was just kind of a giant wreck. Uh, so we kind of are asking ourselves, is this person, is there any chance of this person getting to heaven? And, you know, or else we wouldn't pray for them. If they're in hell, there's, there's no need for prayers because there's no hope. Um, but kind of just talking through that uh, with my spiritual director, we we were kind of discussing about how this person maybe didn't know God, like the correct definition, you know, the correct understanding of who God actually is. They had a misunderstanding of who God was. And so if they presented their idea of God and denounced it to you, you would say, well, yeah, I denounced that too. That's not what God is. Sure. So did they really denounce God? 
or did they not understand did they not have the opportunity to understand the, the true meaning of who god is not that we can comprehend it but you know there's that and then also mind-altering drugs your brain can get so scrambled up that i don't know like is it killing yourself is a mortal sin right, right. taking your own well, life it's grave matter it is to be more precise but yeah yes yeah it's a, it's a grave serious matter um but because this individual had taken drugs, are they completely responsible for that sin? Can we know that they're completely responsible for that sin? Of, yeah. Uh, you can never know if another person is completely responsible for anything, which is the fun part. Yeah. Um, so that's why you have so to. So as be, we're like laying down these, yeah. these rules. <laughs> yeah, the know. rules are there for you to be, for you to be able to follow and to discern truth goodness and beauty within yourself and to help other people you know as much as you can but when it comes to it you actually don't have the ability to read someone's soul and we we can't understand god's mercy you know someone that's not in the state of grace does that mean that they cannot get to heaven no because we don't know god's mercy god could choose to be merciful to that person right i feel like it's interesting to think about like you know if if you were to give somebody enough time to live and try to get to know God, how long would it take for them to convert, you know? And it's like, maybe that amount of time is an eternity or how long does it take for us to get to know God would be an eternity for sure. Right. Well, yeah, we do in heaven is just get to know him better and better. Right. But I mean, like how long would it take, how long would it take for somebody to choose to be in union with God? Right, yeah. and the idea. So I would argue to get into semantics, which is always fun when you get into semantic fights. Well, this is Deep Thoughts on the Rocks, sure. right? Is that um, Are we deciding on that title right now? Oh, yes. I thought we had already decided. <laughs> okay. Um, your statement, does someone who's not in a state of grace, can they still go to heaven? No. That's teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, no. It's the question of you cannot tell if someone is or isn't. Like, you cannot know if another person is Mm. in a state of grace or not. Because the sacraments, if they're not receiving the sacraments, that is the ordinary dispensation of grace. The ordinary. there is the extraordinary dispensation of grace that we cannot know whether God is working in their lives or not. Because in the Roman definition, state of grace literally just means that you have the divine life flowing through you. Okay. Which is the literal definition of heaven. Not the checkbox of the sacraments. Oh, no, 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 no. The sacraments are the ordinary dispensation towards that. Mm-hmm. But the state of grace, so grace, this is the fun definition. Grace is God. It is God. Like, it is, well, oh, shoot. Oh, Roman Catholics have a definition of grace that's different. Um, <laughs> in the Roman Catholic Church, there is the idea of the difference between uncreated grace, which is God's divine life, and created grace. The East does not have that distinction. Eastern perspective, hot take, all grace <laughs> is God. We call it his divine energies. It is as much him as his essence is. It is uncreated. So to be in a state where that is flowing through you in an active way is the definition of heaven. And so if you're in that state, you're going to heaven. If you're not, you're not. Because that's literally the definition is whether mm. or not you are in union with God or rejecting union with God. So, but then the, the question then comes is, when I look at another human being, I can't see that because grace is invisible. And that's one of the great, that's one of the great blessings of grace is that it is invisible. 
because that always allows if I knew someone was in a state of grace or not in a state of grace it would drastically change the way that I would interact with them probably like but I can always just assume someone is give them the benefit of the doubt and be merciful while still saying like in general you should not do this thing because this thing is often really bad but I can also pray for them with true hope that they would be converted. You know, whether whether they're Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, anything else, we all need conversion. We all We're need all to be more people. like God. <laughs> and so I can always pray for someone's conversion, even, and it's precisely because I do not know what's going on in their soul, yeah. that I can always pray for their conversion with some hope. Um, and that comes from John's letter where he says, some sin leads to death. I do not say that you should pray for that. Because if someone is in hell, as you said, there's no point in praying for them. Your prayer would literally be pointless. But it's the it's the fact that I cannot tell if someone is living a heavenly life or a hellish life that gives me the ability to always be praying for them mm-hmm. with true hope and not just, um, I guess, the passion of hope, but with the theological virtue of hope. Um, so, yeah. So cool. slight caveat to if you're not in a state of grace, can you go to heaven? No, it's the whether or not someone's in a state of grace that becomes a much trickier question. Wow. So I have a punch list here to kind of wrap this up and put a bow on it. Perfect. Um, I, I don't think we got to the defects of uh, munificence. We did not. And then I'll do, I'll, so we'll mention those and they're, they're really easy to comprehend. Cool. And then I'll, I'll talk just a tiny bit about ambition and then, and then we'll wrap it up. So... So the defects of munificence, and munificence again is um, inclined to do great works, although you were saying something about just doing the minimum. I would say, to me, the word looks, so I would say Tanqueray has chosen to go with a certain understanding of munificence. Mm -hmm. I think we can expand on the term and have it include doing your duty and the idea of giving freely something beyond your duty. Okay. So defects of that, do you want to, do you want to wager a guess? Yeah, it's going to be laziness and uh, selfishness. That's interesting. He is—he's <laughs> dealing with um, because it's doing dealing with being willing to do great expenses. Mm-hmm. He says the two defects are miserliness and extravagance. So this is sure. like okay. the the virtue lies oh, in the middle. I'm thinking of defect as just the vice. But you're right. You're going the vice and the counterfeit. So this gets into yes. finance, and uh, I, I have a brother that said he might want to come on as a guest speaker on one guests. of these and talk a bit about finance, since that was his major. Did you know that the Greek word for guest and the Greek word for host are the same word? No, I didn't. Weird. It has nothing to do with what we're talking That's about. That's so one of my favorite things. Did you know that uh, the word for neighbor in Italian kind of sounds like vicinity? They come from the same uh, same word in Latin. That makes sense. Yeah, whiskina. Okay. We're, Moving on to we're the gonna defects. digress. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah. So it's going to be the. Do we want to talk about what virtue of the mean look means, or do we want to just have another episode on that? We can have another episode okay. on that. You but just... so like miserliness is Scrooge. He's unwilling. True. To support things that deserve his support. You know, is that a is that a good? Run, say that again. I I've blacked Scrooge, out. Scrooge. He's unwilling. To like give to the things that he needs, he ought to give to. Yes. Okay. Yep. He he makes his money like the most important thing to him, keeping his money, and not these other good works that he could do with the money. Yep. And so that's miserliness. He withholds his, the penny pincher. He withholds says, his good works. Yeah. Yes. 
Okay, extravagance is like an excessive, uh, you know, spend of money. Right, it's going to be something that is... So I would say extravagance is withholding good works and covering it up by doing superfluous things Ah. that look, that are pleasant. Unnecessary expenditures. Okay. Is one of the one of the phrases. Yeah, it'd be the idea of like, it'd be that so munificence would be giving your child what they need to what feeding them good food and food that they like munificence spending beyond one's means yeah is extravagance yep and i would say extravagance would be like if you fed your children only cake ah. that would be extravagance yeah because you're still feeding them but you're feeding them just like brain candy or literal candy like you're only giving them what's pleasant and never what actually is helpful. Whereas yeah. miserliness would be the refusal to feed them at all. Yeah. We could have an entire other episode about eating uh, and food and about it just like eating for function or eating for, for enjoyment and things like that and how it can play into like gluttony and things Cakes like that. Cakes have layers. <laughs> like yes. onions. Like onions. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know what you guys are referencing, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, everyone in our everyone in our listener audience does. So How do you oh, not okay, know? <laughs> that's usually how things go with me. So... It's only from the movie Shrek, which is a cultural what? icon of the 20th century. What? I love Shrek. Uh, you don't, you know, don't the know the onion, onion you scene? Do, let me correct you. You don't love Shrek if you don't know the onion line, the literally most famous line from the entire movie. Ogres Shrek are is, like onions. Because they're stinky, smelly, and nobody likes them? No, they have Okay, layers. I get it now. Thank you. Yeah. Mike Myers. This is so sad that uh, Shrek is love, and I don't love Shrek. <laughs> Shrek is love. Shrek is life. Don't look that up. Listen. Uh, no, but listen to their. Uh, but listen to the group. Shrek is love. They're good. They write songs about Shrek. There's really? a group we'll, called we'll Shrek to after is this. love. It's awesome. We're plugging a lot of people that aren't sponsoring us. <laughs> I know. No one's sponsoring us. I, right, I'm at this point, us. look up the YouTube. Yeah, I guess video we're sponsoring reference. ourselves, so we can we can um, we can uh, reference whoever we please. That's right. Okay, so ambition, which Tanqueray was putting it kind of as opposing to magnanimity right yes that's where we're at here both under virtue or both under fortitude yes and he did a partial description of ambition in under the magnanimity but I'll, i'll do the full one here over in this section so ambition it is uh it's it's part of like presumption all based under like pride and and vanity and things like that i think so this presumption added to pride begets ambition that is to say the inordinate love of honors of dignities and of authority over others so when you're being ambitious you're like trying to achieve success but for the sake of honors or dignities or uh, authority over others and so this is something i've come in i've run into with with certain people uh, in my life of just so I did not complete my degree <laughs> my bachelor's degree uh, and so I have had a, lot, had a lot of people that kind of just as soon as they find that out about me they deem me as not having any value and I believe that possibly these people maybe have, have a little bit of ambition in their in their outlook on life in their lifestyle because to me finishing a degree kind of sounds like an honor you know or a dignity I, I don't really know the difference between those two, and maybe, Mike, you can kind of comment on that. But Our podcast is running long, so I won't go okay. the audience with more definitions. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. We can talk about it later. Um, 
<laughs> but yeah, so is it's like worldly success like that, at least in my mind, of like completing a degree, does that make you a good person? And dropping out from college, does that make you a morally bad person? I would say as long as you're still providing for yourself and for your family that no, it, it doesn't really matter whether you do or do not. Right. It's like, you know, there's a infinite things you could be ambitious in, right? There's an, um, a huge oh, yeah. number of things you could have spent that time being ambitious about. So it's like just... Yeah, and the pursuit of knowledge is an entirely different thing. Of If you're a dropout that's a deadbeat that's not desiring to pursue knowledge or one that just doesn't desire to pursue it through a university. Right. You know, and so... So yeah, I would say that dropping out of college, which I also did... Um, <laughs> does not make you a bad person mm. and well thank you joey i'm glad you think so <laughs> also i don't think it makes you an unambitious person either fair enough and uh one other thing here i'll, I'll say on this or i'll read from tanqueray is um ambition invades every sphere of life like we were just saying mm. uh, one the political realm where men aspire to rule over others uh, to rule others and that oftentimes at the price of so many mean meanesses meanses i don't know how to say I can't, that i don't know what word you're looking at i don't you're know across either the room. so many compromises so many questionable practices in order to secure the votes of constituents so in the political realm ambition can creep in to try to just you know stay in office and, right and that can be dangerous obviously in the intellectual domain wherein men seeks a stubbornly to impose their ideas on others even with regard to questions open to free discussion and in civil life where men vie for the first places high office and the plaudits of the crowd and fourth even the ecclesiastical state is not exempt uh, for as Boswit remarks I don't know who that is do you know Boswit? no nah, that's cool okay uh Lost my place. As Boswit remarks, how many safeguards have not been found necessary, even in ecclesiastical and religious elections, in order to curb ambition, to prevent factions, intrigues, uh, underhand dealings, and the most uh, the most criminal pledges and practices, simoniacal. Ah, man, these words. He uses words, contracts, and other such irregularities too, common in these matters. So, yeah, there, there's like, a, a, as he said, ambition can invade every sphere of life. Indeed. Indeed. I don't know if any of that was interesting to you guys or not, but there it is. I'll, I enjoy I'll his use of the word simoniacal. Yeah. That's quite a word. The words. I, it seems like every page there's a word I need to look up in this thing. That is 1920s so, theology. I'm interested in, and like, I love it. ambition seems to have this, like, aspect of like being a really good thing or a really really bad thing <laughs> i would say it's never a good thing never under his thing. definition so yes. okay there's a difference between again magnanimity that's a good thing which is the pursuit of greatness if i want to totally riff on it i would say ambition is the pursuit of greatness selfishly and magnanimity is the pursuit of greatness for god yeah altruistically yes perfect i see so so being great for essentially everyone else's sake rather than your own yep yeah and this comes from thomas aquinas's very famous definition of love is to will the good of the other so 
whatever you're doing, if you're doing it for the benefit of others, it is love. And so Mother Teresa then talked about this. You, everything can be done with love. Every single action can be done for the benefit of someone else. And so there's no, like, there's no state in life that's necessary for holiness. Holiness ought to permeate every single action and every single state of life possible. And so that's where you could say, you could say magnanimity is good ambition. I think that would be totally fine for, like, modern parlance. Um, Tanqueray would be upset, but he's from the 1920s and he's dead and can't tell me otherwise. So we can call magnanimity good ambition if it helps us clarify what we're thinking of. And then ambition would be bad ambition. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the thing that you're pursuing matters. Right. We can have a whole episode on object, intention, circumstance. Okay. (laughs) That sounds like fun. Yeah, that bears its own episode. That's a... That can get fun. All right. Now a word from our sponsor, Ice. Thanks, Ice, for being cold water. Okay. Thank you also for having another name as rocks. Yes, Water, thank you for having three names for your three states of matter commonly found on Earth. <laughs> I think you were actually just referring to rocks on the rocks, but yeah. we mean ice. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. That's okay. See, when he first started talking... Thanks, Nick, for always explaining what Joey means to me. <laughs> <laughs> He's your friend, uh, first. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess Nick and I aren't friends. But, I guess uh, not. No, I just I mean just... he was your friend first, and yet I'm interpreting what he says to you. It's kind of funny. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess happens. we think more alike because we're in the audio world. Maybe, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, the way I think about ice is heavily, heavily influenced by my particular career plans. I would Which agree. Are? I just was making fun of you. You were like, it's heavily we're like, we in... understand each other because we work with sound. And I was like, oh, yeah. My professional lens also really affects the way I think of frozen water. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think the way I think of frozen water is heavily influenced by my hip-hop taste. Oh, that's interesting. You're in, you're like an Ice Ice Baby fan. Or like right. you're into Ice Tea. Or, or Ice Cube. Or Ice Cube, that's true. Wow. Alright, I can't think of any other ice ones. That's okay, <laughs> you just rolled off a lot. <laughs> yeah. Vanilla Ice. Oh, right. We've got so many options. Wow. <laughs> Should start a rap career. It's like vanilla fire. Chocolate fire. Fire block. Mm. Instead of ice cube. I don't know. Ooh. Mm. Fire block. Flaming pyramid. There it is. So I was kind of a... Is that your nickname in high school? Charcoal. <laughs> yeah, I'll, be, I'll be charcoal. Kind of assuming that by now we would have faded it out. <laughs> I mean, it's up to you. You're the editor. Oh, my gosh. I'm certainly not the editor. And this has been Deep Thoughts on the Rocks. This has been some thoughts on the rocks. Some. Some of them deep. Some of them less deep. Is that your word for shallow? Just less deep? (laughs) Yeah, that's my new cover of the latest Lady Gaga song. Less deep. Do you want to end in a prayer? Do you, I, sure, I'm not going to lead it, but yeah, go for it. Oh, yikes, well, I wasn't going to lead it. Oh, well, you're the one that brought it up, so now you're in charge of it. Okay, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. 
Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together here today that uh, we could try to ponder the mysteries of uh, truth and, and this pursuit of truth, I suppose. And uh, uh, we ask that you uh, guide our hearts and minds to you, which is the truth. Uh, and in your name we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can email us at deepthoughtsontherocks at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.